hello again, friends. This is Dick Foth with stories to make sense of it all. I always like it when I get to meet people with an angle on life or a set of experiences that are different than mine. And of course, most people in the world that applies to, but sometimes there are folks who express it or model it in a way that just catches your attention. I want you to meet that kind of person today, an outstanding woman and wife and mother and leader. But beyond all of those things, or maybe as an expression of all of those things, she is a woman with a great heart. Here she is. So I get to sit today with Linda Crump. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Dick. And here we are, and I'm talking to you in downtown Fort Collins, Colorado. But you don't come from downtown Fort Collins, Colorado. Here's my standard go-to question, right? Ready for this? Where were you born and brought up? I was born in Davenport, Iowa, and I was brought up there my entire journey. So you're a Mississippi River woman. I am a Mississippi River woman. Female version of Mark Twain. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not quite as much of a voyager on my raft floating around, but there are a lot of outlooks where Mark Twain would sit and reflect and talk about the beauty of the sunsets. One of those is in Muscatine, Iowa. I think most people may not associate Muscatine, Iowa, with the great adventurer, river pilot, author, Mark Twain, even though he he was a Mississippi River guy. But after Linda brought up Muscatine, Iowa, she sent me this quote from Mark Twain, who's speaking of that town. This is what he says, and I remember Muscatine still more pleasantly for its summer sunsets. I have never seen any on either side of the ocean that equated with them. Davenport is Quad Cities area, Rock Island, Illinois, and so forth, right? Correct. Home of John Deere. John Deere. Near there, at least. Right, right? Alcoa Aluminum. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's the great heartland of America. Some people would call that, and as you move further west, the flyover space. All the elites <laughs> of the east and west coast. <laughs> but the flyover space, from my experience, having lived in Illinois for 14 years, right. is really cool space. What is it, in your mind, about the heartland that is so meaningful? Well, I, I think it's, you know, the people. I think relationships are real and deep. There's a sense of community, at least in the time frame when I grew up. Things have probably changed a little bit in all our worlds. But the other thing for me is, and just having moved out to Colorado and trying to plant things in the in the ground, it's 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 a chore to dig through the clay and the soil here and. You know, you put your shovel in in Davenport, Iowa, and it's black, rich dirt. And so much of what comes out of that are, you know, fresh foods and crops and dairy and farm animals and all the good homemade foods that come from that, from butter to ice cream to... I don't often salivate while I look at the (laughs) summit. 
we're, we're going so, there. <laughs> so there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that are grown or sure. raised there that are then distributed in our food chain. And so it's, I think about that, you know, you put a sure. shovel in and it's a different journey than when you put a shovel in the dirt here. I want to jump to the fact that you're an athlete. When did you know you were an athlete? I know you played as a little girl, you're doing whatever, but when did you know and how did that happen? Yeah. So a um, couple things. One, my dad was a really good athlete. So I have two sisters. So yeah. here's this athletic guy yeah. who's in lots of Hall of Fames that had three daughters. So right there. Let's, let's just hold that for a moment. The word you use in something you wrote about your father is legendary. And right there you said lots of Hall of Fames. What do you mean lots of Hall of Fames? Right. Uh, Coaching Hall of Fames, uh, playing Hall of Fames from the school that he attended and played basketball. Just lots of accolades in terms of his history in athletics, either as an athlete, a coach, or an administrator. So he was high school teacher, college coach? He was a high school teacher and coach. Okay. And, you know, back in the day where high school sports were the center of a community. You mean like Hoosiers? Like Hoosiers. Even though it's Indiana, that's Hoosiers. Right, but very similar. I mean, everybody came in the community to events, and, you know, there's not pro sports in Iowa. So that sense of community at the high school is big and it's real, and the gyms that, you know, it's there's rivalries and it's big. And this is Iowa's version of Friday Night Lights. It it is a little bit, right? Maybe not the same money and. Stadiums that seat right. 10,000 people prize. Right, yeah. but it's definitely that feel, right? So your father set the culture in your growing up years to think about sport. He did. I mean, I, my dad would go to practices on you know a Saturday, and yeah. I would literally just hang out in the gym with him all day. I would yeah. just roam the building and go into a smaller gym and shoot baskets and you know find all kinds of ways to pick up a ball and entertain myself. So I just sort of grew up. I you know it was almost like you weren't a girl, you were just somebody who loved to pick up a ball and create things with it, right? You know, I remember growing up, my dad would play catch with me. And he was going to make sure I didn't throw like a girl. (laughs) But you are a girl. (laughs) But in his mind, it didn't matter, right? Boy or girl, you play, you know, you play sport. And if you play sport, you do it the right way and you get good at it. And there's a very real sense in which it doesn't matter. You know, if you're trained and you Absolutely, absolutely. And my neighborhood was all boys. Okay. So they would knock on the back door, and this is in the days when, you know, all the kids, you're you're gone all day. Play till dark. Yep. We would play baseball and football, and, you know, we would just go. And I was always the quarterback because I could throw, not like a girl. (laughs) (laughs) So you're... How can I put this on the air? You're not short and speedy like a a shortstop in baseball. You're tall. I'm tall. And your sport is what? My sport is volleyball. And my whole life, I was really sort of gearing to be this basketball player. My dad was a basketball coach. Right. 
And so I would spend a lot of time shooting hoops and playing horse and even playing a little bit of pickup with the boys. But at that point in Iowa, girls basketball was six on six, Mm. where you had three forwards and three opponent guards on one side of the court. And after a basket was made, the ball would always come to center court. Mm-hmm. And then the other six on the other end would play, right? Like, so it was come back and forth. Well, I played five-on-five five pickup with the boys, and that was a whole lot more fun. Sure. Street <laughs> <a> ball. <laughs> and so introduced in high school to volleyball, really to keep in shape for sure. basketball. Okay. And opportunity to work with one of the most... Incredible women who just has been a lifelong mentor, still lives here in Fort Collins really? with me. Yes, her son's an assistant coach at Colorado State for basketball. And so someone I've known for 40 years was instrumental in sort of in teaching me and instilling this love for a different sport, volleyball. Um, and it was kind of history from there. So you played Division One. I. I did. For whom? The University of Iowa. What's their mascot? The Hawkeyes. The Hawkeyes. And the football team, at a certain point when they play football, they turn and wave toward the hospital. Yes, the the children's hospital. That is such a cool thing. That's a really cool thing. So you're part of the whole Iowa Hawkeye family. Yes. And then you went on and coached. Give me just a quick shot of where you coached. Yeah. So as an assistant coach, I coached at Iowa State and Ohio State. And as a head coach, I coached at Butler University, Duke University, and Iowa State University. Wasn't Butler Jim where Hoosiers Yes, it was. Home of Hoosiers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, and at Duke, you were at Duke. Yes. You told me that your office was where at Duke? In Cameron Indoor Stadium, right so, outside men's basketball locker room and women's basketball locker room. Is that right? Yes. Well, that would be interesting to feel the intensity in that. I've only been in Cameron Arena once. I think I lost my hearing there. That's when it started. It is <laughs> It is loud and it is hot okay. and that's exactly what you want it to be, right? Have you always been a competitor? Yes. Because of your dad or because of just the context, just the, all the boys in your neighborhood or the whatever? Yeah, I think environment, and I think I'm wired a little bit that way. What does competition do for people? I think one of the, the bonuses of competition is it really gives you the gamut of experience, right? right. It's this thing where... You know, you're you're going to drive towards something, you're going to drive toward a goal, and you're either going to get it or you aren't. And so then you're going to have to deal with success or failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's just this microcosm of what life is like. You know, it's going to have struggles, you might have injury, you might be healthy, you might hit your peak performance. It's, you know, it's really a whole gamut of things but at the end of the day it's really this microcosm of what we face in life when linda just brought up peak performance it it triggered a memory in me that is is funny for me but you know all of us peak at different times here's mine i tell people that when i was a little kid i was in this british boarding school 
there was a British girls boarding school high on the plantations of South India and they let little boys go there till they were 10 and then they figure out those are girls and they ship the guys someplace I have no idea <laughs> but <laughs> years ago I went back to that school and they had a yearbook a little paper yearbook for the school for 1948 and it said that they had a sports day where you had competitions yeah. and that Dickie Foth won the flat foot race not that you had flat feet but it was the foot race and the frog hop <laughs> and I won both of those at age six and I peaked that was it you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I I think this idea of competition is really interesting to explore because in volleyball you're competing as part of a team. Talk yes. to me about team a little bit. Right. I mean, the the great thing about team is that, you know, you're one in the case of six, right? right? And so really each person has this role and every role is valuable, whether it's, you know, in volleyball, I mainly am a key server, I'm an outside hitter, whatever it is, it's it's being able to perform your piece of that whole process mm-hmm. to the best of your ability. And the, you know, if I'm passing the ball, the better I pass it to the setter, the better they're gonna have a set for the hitter, which means the hitter then is in a better position to, you know, have sure. more shots to get a kill, right? So Every piece of that is important. And if I don't work as hard on my pass and I give the setter a mediocre ball, it sets the hitter up for not an ideal situation. But all of that is really important because it's every piece brings value in the process. And this is why they track assists in basketball, isn't it? I mean, isn't Absolutely. that one of the things? You know, Absolutely. When I um, read stats, and I'm not a huge stat person, but when I read stats and hear commentators or analysts talk, they say things like, well, he or she is generous with the ball, or they aren't ball hogs. Even though they may be the best shooter on the floor at a given moment, they engage the team because that opens up other right. things. If I throw it to you, right. it opens, right? I mean, all of that going on. Right, absolutely. I mean, if you if you can find people at the right moment when they're open, say in basketball, right? And it and they have a shot, mm-hmm. you know, it just means now we're in a better chance to score, right? And the more people that are able to score, the harder it is for a team to guard us and the more success we can have. If it's a one-dimensional team with one superstar, it's pretty easy to shut that down. That's why I think probably my sport in terms of watching at least and playing, I guess, back in the day, although I was nearsighted, had thick glasses, and so I never played on a high school team back in the 50s. But the thing that you keep hearing is that those players may not be as good as the players on the other team, but they're a team. It's very interesting to hear the language that's used at the end of a game, hard fought and won, when a 320-pound lineman, (laughs) they say, so what's the key to this game? And they say, I just love these guys, man. You know, that idea that love, if you will, builds a team. My definition, which is not mine, I've stolen it from somebody (laughs) who stole it from somewhere and they don't remember when, (laughs) so it's public domain, is love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's needs. Love is the accurate estimate, adequate supply of another person's needs. And we tend to use that about personal relationships or spouses or marriage or, you know, 
friends and all of that. But I think that applies to real teams, that there is a bonding, like, I don't know if you've ever read the book about the 1936 rowing team from right. UW, from yes. Washington. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, the boys in the boat. And to, to hear how the writer writes about the bonding and the sense of ecstasy that they felt through their work. And let me just circle back to one other thing. When, in your experience, did someone in your athletic career say something or do something that you think took you to the next level mm-hmm. or inspired you to the next mm-hmm. level? Anybody besides your legendary father? <laughs> it could be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it what's interesting is I really didn't start playing volleyball till I was a sophomore in high school. Oh, okay. Which is in today's world very sure. late. Yeah, sure. Very late. Um, and the coach that I had, I think, was really one of the most influential people in my life because she saw me as a whole. In addition to all the work we were doing related to skills on the court right. and the challenges that she would put there, you know, in, in terms of I was a hitter. And so putting me in situations that were uncomfortable and messy and you know, and really encouraging me that I had the skill to get through those and excel. Mm. But that's a process. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. You don't always believe in yourself. But this person who's driving you every day to say, I see it and you can be it. And to have the resilience to keep putting you there. You know, it's not easy to keep putting people in those situations that are hard. We want to be like, oh, I want to make it easy for people. But it's sort of in that fire that you really get refined and you become what you can be. So would it be fair to say she believed in you when sometimes you didn't believe in yourself? Oh, absolutely. What a gift that is to have somebody believe in you when you don't believe in yourself or you're frustrated or you want to quit or whatever else is going on in that what I consider a great film Chariots of Fire that's now 50 years old or (laughs) almost 50 years old there's a sequence at the Olympics where Harold Abrams who is one of the people that the film focuses on has a coach on the side you're not supposed to have a coach but he had sort of a coach on the side and there's a sequence where this man who's a belgian harold has lost a heat or something and he puts coins on the mantelpiece and he says harold what i need from you is for you to give me two more coins and that is shorten your stride put two more steps in every whatever 10 yards whatever it is and that kind of affect and impact really does change people at least my observation, in my own life, even though I'm not an athlete in that sense, I've had people who have challenged me at key points and affirmed me when Mm. I wasn't affirming myself, right? Right, absolutely. When I say coach, what comes to mind? Besides, again, besides your dad, (laughs) but in terms of the function of coach, what comes to mind? Because you've been there. Uh, To me, a coach is somebody that sees the whole person, not just the piece of sport that they are working to enhance performance in, but the whole person when they're off the court or off the field. Who are they? And knowing that person well enough Mm -hmm. to be able to bring out 
what they need on the court. Mm -hmm. You know, I just see it as this mentor, this person who inspires that, you know, again, who sees what you don't always see in yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I think about when I think of a coach. I think it's someone who says, you know, here's here's what I see that maybe no one else sees. Mm. You know, I'm one of those people whom I call a Jesus follower. And when I read him, when I read how he speaks to his followers, the, Absolutely. you know, he like Simon Peter, this guy who's a fisherman. I don't know if he was a teenager when he was called away from his nets in the story or whatever it is, but there's this moment in time when if we were to give Peter the Minnesota multiphasic inventory, one of those psychological profile testing things, you know, or the Myers-Briggs, or I don't think he'd do great. You know, I and so he's all over the map. I think he's a natural leader, but he's all over the map and he needs the discipline and all that. And at one point Jesus says to him, you know, I, I think I'm going to call you the rock, the stable guy. And you can almost see the other 11 guys saying, what? But when I hear you talk, it sounds like that language, that idea to me that you're either speaking something into a person or you're calling something they don't see out of them. Is that fair to say that or is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's almost this idea that, you know, there's it's this unusual suspect, right? Like, you know, you walk into a gym and you see you know, typically you can find right away who, who the superstar is. But, and, and that's great. Right. There's a superstar, but there's often all these other kids that do so much that actually really make the team successful, right? right? And so um, whether it's a superstar or that role player, you know, I think what a coach sees is, how they add value and enhances in their mind how they can basically bring the whole team together. And I think about, you know, the the rowers. It was this idea of what did every one of those rowers need to excel at in order for that accomplishment to happen. It wasn't just one person, it was the group. And I think um, the same thing. It's It's not often... It's a bigger picture than the surface. I heard it said a few years ago that coaches are the tribal chieftains of our age. Do you believe that? Well, I think what coaches do are what leaders do. I, I look at the CEO of our company. Sure. And I really think what he does is no different than what a coach does. Yeah. I mean, you're really, it's about enhancing the performance of people and really knowing them in a way that you can address not what they want all the time, but what they need, being able to create an inspiring environment um, you know, that keeps them going, but, you know, providing those guardrails and structures when they need to hear critical things that are going to allow them to enhance their performance, right? I, it's just really, to me, yeah. I, I see it as the same. Moving toward a common goal. Absolutely. There is a sense when I think of coaches, and I have a friend who's now gone. I tell people, you know, so many of my friends are now gone. i got to get some younger friends. This is- <laughs> 
<laughs> but he was a backfield high school football coach that when I was a young 20-something, I wasn't on his team or anything, but we were friends. He was 20 years my senior, about 20 years my senior, and just had so much wisdom. He was a sage to me in a lot of ways. He used to say, Dick, without desire, disaster, and, you know, these little aphorisms that he, that he had. And that, the idea of coach to me, and again, this is from the outside more than from the inside, is that here's this person who could be like your dad or your mom, or more likely is like your aunt or your uncle. There's, there's a relationship, but it's not a direct line, right? right? And that piece for so many younger people today is so critical, especially in an age of high anxiety, to have somebody or some bodies, not just parents, but the teachers and the coaches, all of those in concert working toward a common goal is really important. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do have one more question, maybe two. Okay. Okay. And it's, you've transitioned from being a coach in sport. You've been now the executive director of a couple of foundations, and you now are the executive director of a foundation called Otter Cares. And I'm sitting here in, in an office where you work, and I'm looking up at this spectacular picture of California sea otters. And I used to live near Monterey Bay. And my wife gave me sailing lessons, paid for sailing lessons when I turned 40. And I remember taking a sailboat out to the kelp fields and looked at those little sea otters wrapped in kelp and they got a rock on their chest and they're cracking mussels or something. They're food, right? And they're, right. Anyway, those are beautiful. So you are the foundation side of this company that we know here in Fort Collins and is known around the world as Otterbox or Otter Products. Otter Cares is the name. Just give me two or three sentences on Otter Cares. How do otters care? And, and right. everybody who works here calls it, is called an otter, right? Yes, they, absolutely. They, they have otter tunities. <laughs> <laughs> otter relations. Oh, and boy. Everything's otter. Um, you know, really, Otter Cares is this opportunity to ignite youth to reach their potential. So you think about my background as a coach, right? right? And so the work that we do really reaches into our community and says, how can we work with schools or youth program providers and ignite the minds of the next generation to really create businesses and bolster our economy or ignite their ideas on ways that they can be a difference maker or change maker in the world? Um, mm -hmm. We do that within our own company to our otters. I think mm -hmm. one of the greatest opportunities we have is for our employees to see that opportunity within themselves. So okay. for us, it's about really helping people um, be a difference maker in their community, whether they're an employee or that next generation of youth. So just give me a couple of quick examples about what is it you do with youth in Fort Collins or Larimer County, wherever, that does what you're describing. We have the privilege of providing grants, so financial dollars or people resources to educators that really have these ideas of programs that they can work with youth, where the youth really have the opportunity to lead with their ideas. So it might be an innovative learning environment where they're able to have all kinds of resources that they can make things and prototype and test and run it down the journey of what 
what is a problem I see? What can I make as a solution to solve that problem? And then in the journey, all these competencies and skills that we would say are what makes someone successful. I, I can think creatively. I can problem solve. I can work with others. I have this resilience when it doesn't quite go right or I, my idea didn't work to rethink it and move forward. So I saw one video clip, I think, of high schoolers here or maybe middle schoolers in an aircraft facility making drones or something. Absolutely. Is that is that right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. So in that case, it was the passion of an educator related to aviation, where it really gives kids these opportunities to pursue a pathway where they're able to learn about drones and what are the, the job opportunities related to the use of drones, be it working for a realtor, working for a farmer, right? Drones are everywhere now oh, in yeah, our world. Yeah, yeah. You know, or even going into flight, being manned aviation, control tower um, certifications, anything you can imagine. So you spent all those years as an athlete, and, and you haven't stopped being an athlete, I'm sure. But, but, uh, <laughs> a all, little slower now. All, the, all of us lose this step. <laughs> It's, so, it's right in the mind, yeah. not so much as quick in the body. Tell me. <laughs> so you've moved from being an athlete player to maybe a player coach to being a coach to being... And now, using that same view of the world, the same trust in the maker, the same all of that, now you're in a place where you can encourage folks, young people, across this county and other places to explore, to find who they are. So you're still helping to believe in people when they don't believe in themselves a lot of times. Absolutely. Right? And opening doors. And so you sit here every day or go places every day and you get to give things away and encourage people. Is that right? You know, I tell our CEO I have the best job in our company because yeah. when when people have a dream yeah. and you get to listen to them and really help them shape it into sure. a little bit more strategic idea and then really say, okay, here's the resources you need to run with it, right. that's pretty special. You know, I'm sitting here saying, they pay you for this, right? They do. <laughs> See, there's, there's that. So you get to do this and you yourself get funded. And it's just, uh, it's wonderful. And thank you for who you are and what you do and for your mom and dad and all of that. Yeah. This totally unrelated question. Yes. Growing up in Iowa, what was your favorite meal? My favorite meal? Ooh, that's a good question. I probably should have asked that first, except I right know, at the end. But I know. <laughs> I think my favorite meal um, when I was growing up, actually my mom would make this beef stew. And it's funny because I'm not really a beef eater now, right. but I remember I would ask for that on my birthday. That would be my special meal. She would make this pot of beef stew with dumplings on top of it. And it was just <laughs> exquisite. Can you... Still smell it? I can still smell it. <laughs> well, on that food note, <laughs> thanks for giving us food for thought about what it means to compete, what it means to focus, what it means to be a team, what it means to have a coach and be a coach. And uh, we're grateful to God for you. Thank you so much, Linda, for being with us today. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Dick. It's always uh, just a joy to spend time with you, and I learn something every time I do. Okay, now I'm paying you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Yeah. There is something about people who have eyesight, sort of infrared eyes, if you will, or x-ray eyes, that can see into the hearts and the minds and the dreams and the aspirations of other people. There's something about those kind of people that are just in and of themselves inspirational. In these kind of times, with great anxiousness and great uncertainty, to have people who think like that and act like that and engage in those kind of efforts is a tremendous gift. So I'm so grateful that we had the chance to meet Linda Crum today. That's it, friends. I'm out. We're done. And thank you for listening. If you have a chance to write a review or want to, that'd be great. A couple of sentences. And we're just so grateful that we get a chance to be together each week. And we'll catch you next week. God bless. God bless.